We've spent the entire summer studying the faith of different people in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And up to this point in that chapter, the writer has focused in on the victories of faith. We've seen lots of good stories. It's all about the good stuff. We saw Abel, who taught us how to worship by faith. Enoch, who taught us to abide in God so that we could walk in faith. Abraham, who's a father of a nation who just went by faith. Noah, who saved his family and an ark full of animals with an obedient faith. Jacob and Joseph, who had a forward-looking faith that stood firm upon God's promises. Moses and Joshua, who acted by faith. They knew that God would act on their behalf when they took that first step of faith. And then last week we talked about Rahab, who risked all she had, even her own life, showing us a daring faith. But now we're going to start to see a shift in the message of faith. We're going to start to see the hard side of faith, the tough stuff that comes with living a life of faith. It's going to be a list of names who acted by faith, even in their weaknesses, even in their failures. Let's pick up at Hebrews 11, starting in verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Now the first four men mentioned in that list lived during one of the darkest times in Israel's history. They had no kings, so they had judges. But in Judges 21-25, it says all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So there was no law of God directing people. It was, it was truly one of the darkest times. But there are still men during that time who accomplished great things. Gideon defeated the Midianites. Barak defeated the Canaanites. Samson defeated the Philistines. And Jephthah defeated the Ammonites. But that's not why they're listed in the Hall of Faith. Their mention is because of the faith that they had in overcoming their faults. The faith that they had to overcome their weaknesses and their failures in their life. See, all four of those men had some big issues. Their faith was like ours. It was mixed with fear. It was clouded with unbelief and doubt. It was wrought with compromise. And it was plagued by human reasoning. But they had a true faith. It was imperfect and badly flawed, but God knew that. And he honored them anyway by putting them in the list with all the others. Tonight we're going to look at, we're going to focus on two of those men. First one we're going to look at is Gideon. Now when we meet Gideon, the Israelites are under severe oppression from the Midianites. 
what they do is every year the Midianites come in. Their army rides in every year during harvest time. They would plunder the land. They would take all the crops, all the animals, leaving everything bare. And then they would ride out of town only to return again the following year at the same time. Year after year, the Jews were losing everything. Everything that they had worked for all year in one moment when the Midianites came in and took it all. They were reduced to starvation. And they were so afraid of the cruelty of the Midianites that they were hiding in caves. And yet, in the midst of this, an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon. So let's pick up his story in the sixth chapter of Judges, starting in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Can you imagine angel of the Lord coming to you and saying, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Wow. That, that statement alone makes you think, Wow, God is with him. God is going to do great things with him. But Gideon's not so sure. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. For the Lord God said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So the scene is set. The Israelites and the Midianites are about to have a showdown. The men are gathered, enemies approaching again. Everything is set for a great battle, except Gideon. He still isn't sure he's the right man for the job. So he asked God to give him an unmistakable sign that he is the one to lead Israel into battle. Gideon even told the Lord exactly what he wanted for his sign. And so the story of the fleece is born. First, Gideon says, okay, here's, here's a fleece. Please make it wet and the ground dry in the morning. So God does it. It's still not enough for Gideon. So Gideon reverses the request. He says, okay, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. God does it again. does it again so Gideon's getting ready he says okay God I believe you he's getting his army ready 32,000 men he's getting ready God says no you're not quite ready yet you have too many men he says there's too many men here for me to deliver the Midianites into your hands because then you're going to think the victory is yours so send home all the men who are afraid. So 22,000 men leave. Then God says, that's still too many men. 
He tells Gideon to separate the men based on how they drank the water from the river. So Gideon is now left with 300 men. And God says to him once more in chapter 7, verse 7, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Gideon's still afraid. Gideon still has issues. Let's pick up his story and and starting in verse 9. That night the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So Gideon took Pura and went to the edge of the enemy camp. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. So Gideon arrives at the Midianite outpost just in time to hear one of the men sharing a dream that he had had. And all of the other Midianite men just shudder with fear over this dream, saying, Clearly the Lord has given the Midianites and the whole camp into Gideon's hands. When Gideon hears this, it says he worshiped God. Finally, finally, he recognized that God was with him. This is the pivotal moment that gets him honored for his faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He rushes back to the Israelite camp and he rallies the troops. Verse 15 says, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord and he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up. For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He devises a plan and he defeats the Midianites. Actually, God confuses the Midianites and they basically defeat themselves and and scatter. But they're delivered into the Israelites' hands. You see, in each instance along the way, Gideon was seeking confirmation of what God asked him to do. And during that process, God was building his faith just one step at a time. See, we don't learn to walk by faith and not by sight in just an instant. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's a lifetime process. But praise God, he's long-suffering with us. And when our hearts are upright before him, seeking him and his ways... It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, as long as Gideon stayed focused on what he was capable of doing, him, himself, as long as he stayed focused on what he was able to do, he was stuck in fear. See, Gideon had to get to that moment where he realized that it was God working through him. And so when he believed God and he took hold of his word, and when he realized that it wasn't his ability but God's, his fear was replaced with faith. God wants us to recognize that we can't do it, but he can. Our faith is about complete dependence on him. 
If we go to God saying, here I am, Lord, use me, thinking that we're capable to do whatever he asks of us, he can't use us. We see evidence of this in Samson's life. Samson is best known for his strength, his super strength and and the loss of that strength due to his head being shaved by Delilah. As much as we saw Gideon ruled by fear in his life, what we see in Samson's life is a life ruled by emotion and really an inflated sense of his own ability. We pick up Samson's story in Judges chapter 13 through 16. And it's really kind of a roller coaster ride when you, when you read it. He starts out as this child of promise to parents who had prayed and prayed for a child. In fact, he's one of the few people in Scripture whose birth was actually foretold. Isaac, John the Baptist, and Jesus, and Samson. So he was born a Nazarite, which means that he was set apart and he was set aside for God's purpose. He couldn't be near a dead body, whether it was human or animal. He couldn't cut his hair. He couldn't drink wine. And our first introduction of him shows him being ruled by lust as he tells his parents, go get me that Philistine woman for my wife. That's who I want her. And on the way to visit this woman, his anger rears up. He rips a lion in two. And then he continues to go back and forth between these emotions, lust and anger and desire and anger. One minute he's worshiping God, and then we find him flirting with the Philistine woman. On another occasion, he leads the army of Israel to great victory, killing a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And then he goes and he sleeps with a prostitute. And soon after that, he meets Delilah. And then his lust kicks in again, and he ends up giving her the secret to his strength, which leads to his imprisonment and ultimately his death. Samson never learned to control his emotions, and so they controlled him. He had issues. His roller coaster life teaches us that it's possible to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to do a few good things for God, but never have our life completely handed over to the full control of the Holy Spirit. Samson found himself continually battling his emotions, and his desires. Some days he did great things for God, but then he would turn around on another day and make some really incredibly stupid choices. Eventually, those stupid choices caused his destruction. But like Gideon, there was one pivotal moment that set Samson's faith back on track. After his head was shaved, After he was shackled, his eyes had been gouged out, he had been enduring hard labor, and the Philistines are having a party, and they parade him out for a source of entertainment. And this is what he says in Judges 16, verse 28. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. It wasn't until Samson had lost it all that he realized where his strength came from and who was really sustaining him. 
See, both Gideon and Samson needed to see that their faith was not about them at all. It was entirely about God. They had to recognize that their faith was a God-given gift and that it was divinely energized and that it was divinely sustained by him and him alone. The lesson to learn for us from these two men is the danger of of a self-made faith, of a self-supporting faith. See, we like to think that we sustain our own faith. We're deluded into this kind of self-ability in our faith rather than recognizing our self-helpless nature before a mighty God. With both of these men, we see how God can lead us into circumstances in which we need his instruction. And that's when we learn that his truth through experience, because what we learn through our experience is confirmed over and over. And that's what we witnessed in Gideon's life. Gideon knew what God had told him to do, and yet his faith still wavered. So God provided experience for Gideon just to confirm that word over and over and over until he got it. He was divinely increasing Gideon's faith all along the way. Gideon had to recognize that he couldn't do it because he wasn't meant to do it. God was. God was using him to accomplish it. Both Gideon and Samson were looking to their own ability when they needed to look to God's ability. It was God's ability that was going to energize them. It was God's ability that was going to sustain them and strengthen them. Because our faith needs to look to God. It needs to draw from Him for energy and strength. Because when we look to ourselves, we're weak and impatient. We forget that through Christ, who gives us strength, we can do all things. See, our faith isn't dependent on our circumstances, on the good stuff. It's not just the good stuff that happens, that where our faith is, is grown. Because our faith is sustained and because our faith is energized by the one who is greater than our circumstances. See, our faith enables us to accomplish things that are explainable only by his power, not ours. That's what's stressed in verses 33-34. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions quenched the flames of fire, escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. That's a list of miraculous acts of God. But the one thing they all had in common was that weakness was turned into strength. Because faith is, it requires recognizing our weakness and laying hold of God's strength. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. But a part of us still thinks we can do something. Even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, 5 said, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Paul recognized that he had nothing to offer, but it was God working through him that gave him the power. 
He emphasizes this point further in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In the stories of Gideon and Samson, we see their weaknesses and we see their flaws and we see that they have issues. We have issues. We have weaknesses. We have flaws. But God uses flawed people, people like us, people with weaknesses, because that's how he demonstrates his grace, so that when victory is won, he gets the glory, because it can only be explained by his power. But we must first recognize our weakness before we can grab hold of his strength. When I first started on this journey of being a pastor, no God, it's not me. No God, it's not me. No God, I don't think I don't I don't think you're the right person. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it wouldn't go away. And I said, okay, Lord, if 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 this is what you want, okay, I'll, I'll take the first step. And then things got a little hard. I said, okay, see, Lord, I told you it wasn't for me. And then he would take the obstacles out of the way and it would be another step. And another step. And another step. And he kept confirming it over and over and over. And then I got kind of comfortable in, in what I was doing. And then he said, okay, now it's time to move to a new role. I have a new role for you. I said, no, God, that's not me. I can't do it. And he said, no, I have a new role for you. And I said, God, I can't do it because, because I can't even walk a straight line. God, I bump into walls. I can't walk down hallways without bumping into doorways. God, my hand shakes like crazy most of the time. I can't, I can't even hold anything if I stand up there. I can't do it, Lord. And I stumble over my words sometimes because the MS just kicks in and it, it controls my head and I can't, I can't do stuff, Lord. It's not me. It's not me who you want standing up there. He said, pray. I said, Lord, I've been praying. I've been praying. And I was wrestling. And in this book, it's, it's a prayer journal. As my heart and as my soul poured out to God. And saying, Lord, I can't. It's not me. It's not me you want. Lord, I can't do it. And in there he said, and that's exactly why you can do it. Because you know you can't do it on your own. You know that it's going to take my power to do it. And that's exactly why I want you to do it. And I broke down. I said, Lord... I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I don't tell you that story to boast because it's not about boasting. I'm sharing my heart because that weakness is in every one of us. We all have those doubts. We all have those fears of, Lord, I can't do it. Lord, it's not me. But that's exactly where he wants you to be. He wants you to recognize that it's him that's going to do the work in you, not you yourself. 
Because faith always involves risk. It always involves putting ourselves outside our comfort zone. It involves putting ourselves outside our human ability. It's putting ourselves in situations that if God doesn't come through, then you'll fail. And that's what I said, God, I can't do it. And God, what if I have a seizure when I'm standing up here preaching? He said, I'll take care of it. You know, I've had three seizures during my preaching time up here. But only his grace. You didn't know I had a seizure. I knew I was having a seizure. But it's his power. It was his power that was giving the words. It had nothing to do with me. It was all him. Because if God doesn't come through, then we'll fail on our own. Like Gideon defeating an army of thousands with only 300 men. Or Samson having enough strength to bring down a Philistine temple. God will use us when we trust him to accomplish things that are explainable only by his power. Our text from Hebrews 11, 6, verse 6. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Church, God honors the faith of his children. We may be slow to answer his call like Gideon. And maybe we let our emotions guide us in wrong directions like Samson. But if God can use them, he can use us. But we must push past our flaws. We must push past those weaknesses that we have, recognizing that it's his power and his strength, not ours. Let's pray and thank God for our faith. Let's pray for him to sustain our faith, to strengthen it, to deepen it. Make it the one power in our lives so that in all the things that we do, he gets the glory. Because when God's people act in faith, when God's people act by faith, God will respond powerfully on their behalf. When you look around, we look like a small body. Gideon defeated an army of thousands with 300 because God was in it. God doesn't care about numbers. God doesn't care about our human reasoning. What God cares about is the heart and soul of every person in this room. And if he has just one person's heart and soul in this room, then he can make an impact in the world. And that's what he cares about. He doesn't care about how many numbers are in this room. He cares about the hearts and souls that are here. And he loves them deeply, so much that he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross. Is your heart, soul, and mind, is it sold out to Jesus? Is it sold out to God saying, Lord, here I am, use me. I know I don't have much. I know I'm weak. I know but I know that your power is mighty and I know that you can use me. That's what he wants from us. That's what he's calling us to do. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you that we can come to you just as we are in our weakened state, in our helpless state, Father. And you love us and you pick us up and you say, let's go. We'll do this together. Father, I ask a blessing upon every person in this room. I ask that they have the courage and the strength to be a light for your glory when they leave this place, Father. In your precious Son's name, amen.